0: Get down with D and D. Yeah, you know me. Get down with D and D. Yeah, you know me. Get down with D and D. Yeah, you know me. down with D and D? whole party. Down with D and D. Yeah, you know me. Get down with D and D. Yeah, you I'm down with D and D. Yeah, you know me. Who's down with D and D? This whole
1: party. Hello again, and welcome to Down with D and D. I am Sean Merwin, and in the blue corner, wearing the green trunks, the welterweight champion of the world. Teos the alpha stream abadia put me in coach put me in put me in that's the wrong sport but uh it's close enough
0: uh what, what i guess you always get to going. but uh yeah and
1: boxing if you're not in you're probably
0: not i need like a tough voice like i got him i got him mm-hmm. uh uppercuts see uppercut yeah
1: boxing. yeah just just go <laughs> back to like mike tyson's punch out and you know same thing
0: I float like a bee flump. and sting you like flump, a butterfly.
1: You flump, you flump, like a flump, float like a flump and sting <laughs> like, like, like a, a hell wasp,
0: purple worm, hell wasp. Yeah, yeah,
1: yeah. Sounds good. Well, what's the news? The news. We there. There is a lot of news, and we are going to steam through the news. We're going to start with that Stranger Things thing that happened on YouTube. Good, good, good times.
0: Yeah. Have you watched any of it yet? I have not. So I started it. So the, the thing, I guess we can dress it up a bit, which that there were kind of these tweets that were mysterious at first, suggesting that something was going on between Netflix's show Stranger Things and the Wizards of the Coast group. And then they revealed that they had recorded a game where four of the actors, David Harbour and three of the the Actors that play kids on the show had uh, recorded a game that Chris Perkins ran, and it's all about Icewind Dale and saving Christmas and presents. Uh, I watched, I I, I have not been able to, I've been low on time, so I've watched mo or part of it, Mm -hmm. let's say the first third. One thing that's cool is it really starts very cleverly with a breakdown of sort of what D&D is and what DMing is Mm -hmm. and sort of the narrative, how the narrative is adjudicated. Chris explains that at the beginning. I thought that was really great. Nice. Yeah. And uh, they also use a lot of sound effects, which makes it kind of fun. So I, I would recommend it as a, as a watch is, if you like the show. Yep.
1: We have a link to the YouTube show in our show notes. And uh, yeah, I think it would be cool if they actually put it on Netflix. That that would have been awesome. You know, you know how you go onto Netflix or a streaming service and then before episode one, there's all like the previews and that would yeah, be so trailers awesome. and more yeah. right. if they if they put that on there that would have been great
0: it is the weirdest thing to see netflix say like well this will be on youtube but maybe they're trying to do some crossover thing or maybe it was a wizards thing this could be one of these business things that just it couldn't happen and they're like look just launch yeah, it exactly
1: next news is more news on the dnd film we have learned that it will star or at least co-star chris pine from the star trek movies and from wonder woman One article says that it will feature an ensemble cast and take a subversive approach to the game and quote, a strong start for what the studio hopes will be a new franchise launch. Yeah, I read that subversive approach to the game (laughs) and and all sorts of both happy sounds and warning bells went off because I love subversive art. I think subversive art is great. I think D&D itself is a subversive game sometimes, so being subversive to something that's already subversive i i am in meta subversive territory in my foreboding look at what this movie could or could not be
0: it's like i remember reading you know especially in the 80s when i read a lot of articles by metal bands and whenever someone was describing their album they'd be like we really went for a darker harder sound this time right and they'd literally say that every time and you're like what 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 do you what like yeah. can you just just make more of good just good stuff right. Like, right. right and this is that kind of like subversive what what do you oh ooh. you know i'm supposed to feel that way and instead i like you i get a little scared like what did right why
1: yeah i mean if it's subversive in the way that D itself is subversive then i'm cool with that
0: mm-hmm.
1: i mean most games that i play if it's not a public game you know convention game is just ridiculous right it's funny it's in and of itself subversive of the tropes of fantasy where everything goes sort of sideways.
0: Right. But but then you have to be careful. You don't end up in that Natalie Portman movie that um, I forget what the name of it is, but right. Uh, your
1: Highness, right. Is your Highness. Yeah, yeah.
0: Where it's just, it's like trying to be so silly right. that it loses itself.
1: Right. When I saw guardians of the galaxy, I thought, okay, there's a D and D movie, right. right. Just make that sort of fantasy and, and
0: I, Mandalorian. Yeah. Right. It, it's right. like, D&D quest after D&D quest literally every week so right th- there is like that's the the magic right and and, and you don't want to stray too far and, and sometimes the obvious thing is the answer and, and and it all has to involve a good script good writing yeah. good acting right that's what makes it happen yeah. it scares me that we've been talking about this D&D movie for so long mm-hmm. and they're making plans to shoot in the first quarter of next year you know like <laughs> it's been a long time of thinking through this for them
1: yeah, I, I'm a fan of the the two directors, right? Jonathan Goldstein and John Francis Daly. I liked Game Night. It was sort of you know a dark. That's a subversive movie, right? Here's here's Game Night and and how it goes way wrong. And they did Spider Man Homecoming. So right. so we'll we'll see. I Yeah, you know, I could talk for a whole show about you know narrative and tropes and why there is no such thing as a good D and D movie. Right? Yeah. You can you can have a D and D movie or you can have a good movie. I don't see a good D&D movie because not everyone's going to be happy. If you don't have enough D&D in it, the D&D fans won't like it. If you don't have enough good narrative in it, then no one's going to want to watch it. So it's it's going to be a hard line to walk as far as I'm concerned about making a movie that D&D, hardcore D&D fans are going to love and the average movie goer is going to love. So we'll see.
0: Yeah, we'll see. And it's also interesting that this is being produced. Through uh, Studio E1, which is Hasbro's entertainment arm.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, you know, Hasbro's behind it. We'll see what resources they put into it and what, it, what the outcome is. Hopefully in a few years. <laughs> if, it, if it ever actually gets made.
0: <laughs> Will I be alive?
1: Yep. In other news, uh, issue 35 of Dragon Plus has been released. It's all there. The things that you've seen in other issues of Dragon Plus, you're going to get more of the same. A lot of it is marketing focused, but they do have uh, information on the D&D virtual play weekends that Bald Band Games is running. So the dates for that, January 15th through 17th, February 19th through 21st, and March 12th through 14th. So all that information's there. More on different live streams that have been going on. Uh, Another work of fiction, this one by Adam Lee. Dragon Classics goes back and looks at some of the mechanical artifacts from the past of the game like uh, the machine of lum the mad etc best of the dms guild this time covers strahd related content there is an article on uh, the dead milkmen and the adventure that they kick-started called bitch and Camera, as opposed to bitch and camaro uh, <laughs> more maps these from Icewind Dale and theros and then an- another one of those walkthrough comics by jason thompson that Uh, If you've been around for the last few years, you know that he's been doing those and and they're incredible. They're the family circus style, you know, the kid walking through the neighborhood and you follow along to see what he did. This is the uh, similar thing, but through the adventure.
0: Those are subversive.
1: Mm, Yes. (laughs) Family circus.
0: Well, and also just these, right? Because the comic always shows like the ridiculous things that players do.
1: Right. Oh, exactly.
0: Exactly. Exactly.
1: In news of the industry, we've been talking about people going into full-time positions at various companies, and Justice Arman is the next uh, next one up on The Prices is Right. Uh,
0: yeah, that's fantastic. So he's working full-time now at Beetle and Grimms. He's uh, mm-hmm. been a goblin there part-time. Congratulations to Justice, who's been an absolute force on the DMs Guild, in the community, uh, just in so many different projects that he's doing, kickstarting more and mm-hmm. working with a wide range of people. So just excellent to see him, you know, be able to do what he wanted to do. And he's been talking about this for a while of leaving his normal job mm-hmm. and working in the industry full time. It's awesome.
1: So it'll be great to see a, another member of our D&D community taking on that full time role and seeing what they can produce uh, in their new roles. Another article that went out on comicbook.com was an interview with Wes Schneider, who is an editor designer at wizards of the coast D and D team. And he talked about the design of the artifact from Tasha's called the teeth of Dalverdar. This is an old school, a D and D artifact. Yeah. And I didn't read the full article, but I skimmed it. And this is something that I, we, you and I could talk just on the subject for weeks. But it's a great look at the design process for, you know, just one thing, one artifact that that was uh, in Tasha's and how much work went into just that one.
0: This is a validating read to me because I do this sort of what I consider to be ridiculous amount of work. And it's largely a table. Right. And it just has like what we're talking about is really just a name of one of the teeth that Mm -hmm. you can put into your mouth or plant in the ground. And each one it must have involved just, you know, all this research that Wes did to look at the history of the game. And he actually, I think they said he designed something like 50 and they ended up using 10 or something.
1: Right. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Doub- d- at least double the design went in to what was finally released. So yeah. that just shows you, you know, how, how much design work goes into a, a good designed, a yeah. well-designed product and last but not least an article by our friend Merrick Blackman talked about an alternate structure for Icewind Dale you want to talk about what uh Merrick
0: yeah expects? so he takes the proposes an an alternate start to the Icewind Dale where in, you take one of the starting quests the one to hunt down the cold-hearted killer that we talked about mm-hmm. and what he does is he does, really leans into an episodic TV format where it's sort of start camera. You are in town X. The killer has is not at this town, but in trying to find it, you end up taking on the town's quest. When you solve it, you get a clue that leads you to the next town. So mm-hmm. it's very right out of TV, right? Where it's mm-hmm. like at the end, you know, right before the credits roll, you get the clue of where to go. I'll go to that town. Mm-hmm. And so every session is a town, a quest and pursuing this person. And then you find them and hunt them down. So that was cool.
1: Yeah. And that that's a great way to get a lot of use out of the book. Uh, rather than just picking one or two places, you're going to see all the 10 towns. Yep. Uh, and, yep, you know, that's that's as right as any other campaign type based on this sort of sandboxy book that we're reviewing. So I like that. I think as long as the players are happy. With, with that sort of campaign, that it is a great way to use the book. It's a great way to tell a story.
0: Now, can I add one more piece of news? You sure can. So just really quickly, DM David's article that dropped today is really cool on role-playing products that shaped his play between 1977 and 1978. It's mm-hmm. a lovely recount of a number of things. But when he talks about the first box that he started with the Holmes box, set, which is what I started as well. He looks at it from the lens of what it was like to grow up back then when every board game was as simple as roll a die, move that many spaces. Mm-hmm. It's a super evocative reading. If you were, if you played back then, this will be amazing to kind of think back on. But if you haven't, I think it would also be really cool to look through the eyes of David and see what it was like to even... He talks about hearing what someone described the game of D&D, and he goes home and tries to imagine the game and can't because nothing like it existed and yeah. it's a great article but just that that um his latest is really a wonderful wonderful read
1: mm-hmm. it really shows w- how revolutionary dnd was in the game industry as well as like the software game industry that was just getting started around that time when all you had was the text-based interactive fiction sort of games and yeah. you know, how important dnd is to to our entertainment not just games but all entertainment these days
0: yeah, it has changed so much
1: great that is the news and now we are going to get to the next part of tasha's Cauldron of everything our review this week will be the new subclass or the newish let's say new-ish. subclass, called the college of eloquence for the bard teos noted that This actually first appeared in Theros, even though neither he nor I remember it being there. So we may have already reviewed it and not don't even remember. But, hey, let's come at it with a new set of eyes based on the other things that we've seen in Tasha's. You want to give us an overview of what the College of
0: Eloquence means? I mean, so this is like, I think you wrote. Super bard, the bardiest of bards, and, and it really kind of is. This is like your subclass that takes the concept of being the charismatic bardic inspiration character and just turns that dial up. Mm-hmm. I would say I like this. Like so far, this is my favorite subclass in the book. I'm not really thinking through the original artificer ones. Maybe it's because I'd read it before and I could kind of didn't remember. It. But as I went through it, it didn't seem to have the design problems that others have had. And actually, find myself really liking the mechanics. So, we start off with level three, persuasion or deception checks cannot roll lower than ten. That's what your silver tongue feature does, and that's just a nice way of saying when you roll, you're not going to do absurdly poorly. You're going to always, you know, you can always make it a ten if it's lower than that.
1: Mm-hmm. And this is this is extra important if you sort of massage the rules as the DM to the point where you have degrees of success or degrees of failure. So, you know, if if the bard is trying to convince someone not to kill you and you don't accidentally roll a 1 and then, you know, even though you're plus 9, you know, come up with a 10 when you need a 12. This is, you know, something that will get you at least to that bare minimum where, you know, the the entire quest is not going to fall apart because you fail one of these checks.
0: Yep, absolutely. So, level 3, unsettling words. This is a bonus action where you use your Bardic inspiration, you choose a creature within 60 feet of you, you roll the die, and that creature then subtracts the number on the die from the next saving throw it makes. So it's a little debuff on saves for a target you choose.
1: Yeah. I- I'm I'm okay with that. I don't particularly love messing with other character saving throws, especially monsters, because as we go along it gets harder and harder for uh, especially at higher levels harder for dms to challenge characters and when there are not necessarily save or die but what they what has been finally called save or suck yeah abilities where you know you fail your save and it just it's no fun anymore so uh it's okay mm-hmm. when you when you stack it maybe with other abilities like the D- divination wizard's ability oh, yeah. to
0: auto fail auto
1: fail checks
0: Your saving throw is this number. Congratulations.
1: Congratulations. You got a two on your save. And even like with monster design, you have abilities that, you know, if you fail a save for three times, you can succeed instead. You know, that can run out in the first half of the first round if you roll poorly enough.
0: Where I give this a pass is it is the next saving throw it makes. And so what that does is require some coordination. Mm -hmm. It's either the spell the bard themselves is about to cast. Mm Right. Right. Or it's because you know that in that round, someone's going to do a thing, which hopefully is not stunning blows, uh stunning fists, but <laughs> something that, you know, another party member is going to do. And while it does sort of create that save or suck kind of situation for many important monsters, you know, I, I think these days you kind of have to decide whether you are okay with that in an encounter or not. And that just goes into encounter design, whether it's okay to have a boss just completely shut down and not do what it needs to do. Mm
1: -hmm. Yep. So nothing too terrible. uh, And on we go to level six where you get unfailing inspiration. Your inspiring words are so persuasive that others can feel driven to succeed. When a creature adds one of your bardic inspiration dice to its ability check, attack roll or saving throw and the roll fails, the creature can keep that bardic inspiration die. So, just a reminder, an Inspiration die normally lasts for 10 minutes, so if they are rolling poorly and failing, they get to keep rolling that Bardic Inspiration die until they succeed for the next 10 minutes.
0: Yeah, I generally like it because it counters the problem of, of a Bard gives Bardic Inspiration and then the player doesn't want to use it because maybe I don't need it. Like, just, right. you know, go for it, right? right. And one thing I thought of was, wait, does this mean that the previous feature we talked about—you could give this to the enemy, or that it would? This feature would cause the enemy to continually take it, right? If they fail their saving throw, they failed, so they keep the bardic inspiration and die. But the wording is, the creature can keep the bardic inspiration die. And to me, that says the creature decides whether to keep it, right? It's a can, not must, and the creature is doing the can, so therefore the creature would not. The, the, you know, an enemy would not decide to keep yeah. the Bardic Inspiration And, and it, also so, okay.
1: it also says when a creature adds one of your Bardic Inspiration dice to its ability check. And so in that case, they're not adding it, they're subtracting it. Um, true. So, so that would be it. And it never really says that you are giving them, in the unsettling words, it doesn't say you're giving them a die. It says you roll the die and subtract it. So, yeah, right. I, I, I I don't think there's going to be much. There will obviously be attempts by some rules lawyery types to get that around that, <laughs> but I think the, uh, the contract there is pretty tightly written. Yeah, it's good enough. Also, at sixth level, you get universal speech, where you gain the ability to make your speech intelligible to any creature. Uh, as an action, you choose one or more creatures within 60 feet of you, up to a number equal to your charisma modifier. Those creatures can understand you regardless of the language you speak for one hour. And then you can't use it again until you finish a long rest or until you use a spell slot to regain it. Yeah, that's cool. And I think, Teos, you noted, it doesn't say that you can understand the creatures. They can understand you, which could make for some fun role playing.
0: Yeah. And one thing I would say is I, I feel like this is sort of like flying, that Wizards is always super afraid to let you understand other creatures and ha- like to and allow for communication. Like your level six, is it really that big a deal if you can understand them and they can understand you, or if a whole mob can understand you, is that really that balanced? Right. Like, I think it's okay. This doesn't have to have that up to your charisma modifier that just let everybody within 60 feet understand you.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Like
0: It's there's, if you look at all the stuff about enabling language, it it has so many such narrow capabilities and I don't understand why.
1: Yeah. It's, I I can sort of understand it because if if you give too many abilities, then the whole point of like taking certain feats, like that, give you more languages. Sort of you will you, you know some people like to play the linguist. They like to play that character that can speak all the languages and they can always read everything and they can always communicate with everything. And you know if if that is a big part of your game, then that's something that sort of steps on it, but. I don't see it as, as a big deal otherwise. Yeah. But yep. it, it's there. It's, it's not bad. I like it. And at level 14, you get Infectious Inspiration. Uh, when a creature within 60 feet of you adds one of your Bardic Inspiration dice to its ability check, attack, roll, or saving throw, and the roll succeeds, you can use your reaction to encourage a different creature other than yourself that can hear you within 60 feet of you, giving it a Bardic Inspiration die. Without expending any of your Bardic Inspiration uses. So basically, someone succeeds, you give the die they just
0: used to
1: someone else without expending it.
0: And if they fail, they can keep it it's even an more earlier feature. So it's pretty sweet. Bardic yep. inspiration machine.
1: Yes. So if you are the type of person that loves to help other people succeed and do so with a plum, this is the subclass for you. That infectious inspiration is limited to the number of times equal to your charisma modifier and you regain all expended uses when you finish a short rest so what are your overall thoughts on this tables
0: this is great i would play this i would welcome it at my table i think it's really cool good party buff party support it does mm-hmm. what a bard's supposed to do it it leans into bard i like it
1: yep i like it as well it is something that uses a mechanic that's already in the game and used by bards a lot the bardic inspiration die and it Without overburdening time-wise or capacity to keep track of things, without overwhelming that, it lets you barred out, barred out hard. <laughs> and as I was thinking about this, I that took me back to that new uh, subclass or that new alternative feature that lets you give uh, Inspiration Die to people to use for spell damage. Yeah. If you are going to have all of these inspiration dice possibly floating around the table, you want to have it useful for everyone. And so I think that might have something to do why that feature that lets you add that inspiration die to spell damage made it in. Because if someone takes this, you, you want to be as useful as possible. If you only have one fighter type at the table, they're already going to have a die most of the time and you want to be able to give it to other people. That may have something to do with it
0: yeah yeah that could be it gives it more flexibility for sure i'm still not super excited about that dealing damage bit but oh
1: i'm not either but i now i at least understand how it would make this particular subclass more viable for a party yep so that was the uh, last subclass of the bard next week we will move on and talk about more subclasses and optional class features for the cleric. Mm-hmm. But now on to our main topic, which is part X plus one thousand. It feels like of Icewind Dale. Uh, we'll call it part fourteen, just if you need if you need a number.
0: We are going to we cannot finish. swear to the veracity of our part counting.
1: This is true, but we are hoping that in this episode we will finish chapter two where we have covered all of the places of interest that have been provided to you as the DM. So if you are going to be playing this, now is the time to uh, check out until next week. Thanks for listening. Those of you here for the goodness of Chapter 2 of Icewind Dale, Rhyme of the Frost Maiden. here we go.
0: Yeah, and honestly, you're the people we like.
1: The yeah, DMs. We, yeah, we, we yeah. like you. Then. Yeah. Don't, don't tell the players that just left we said yeah.
0: that. I mean, unless you're a cheating player, we like you too
1: we uh, yeah I mean, of course we're doing we? uh, <laughs> i mean yeah. as as far as we know <laughs> while you're listening we love you so the first area that we are going to cover in our comprehensive look at the places of interest is the Regged tribe camp i've been talking a lot so i'm going to let teos go here
0: sure so th- this is kind of an interesting uh flexible situation in that it's supposed to represent a camp uh and give you the information you need to know for one of the camps that they can run into it's not necessarily the particular camp but they they do have a quest that supports it and that quest is more specific which is wolf tribe cannibals and here aluka a member of this tribe recruits the characters to deal with an evil chieftain sangra grisker whose tribe is resorting to cannibalism people have been gone missing in the ten towns town where you are so there is impetus for you to want to take action. She can, doesn't want to risk a war within the tribe. Okay. Um, so she wants you to go solve the problem. One part that's sort of weird is even the children are cannibals. And, uh, yeah, okay. I mean, like, yes, this falls within horror, but it doesn't really, the way it presented the book, it's just kind of a yeah, feature, but okay. Yeah.
1: Yeah. It's... so are you you supposed
0: to murder the children you know i don't know okay
1: right right i mean obviously you dm you have the ability to tailor this to what the sensibilities of your your own self as well as those of your players so do so if it's someone who's fine with cannibal children uh great good for you uh i i would i would change it slightly i think there's enough wiggle room within the story of the wolf tribe that you could change that from cannibalism to something else that Aluka wants you to go investigate or stop.
0: To be the obvious thing is strip away the cannibalism and make it all about corruption of the uh, Shardalan, right? To right. That would Yep. You know, or they're turning into cultists of Oral, right? Like that would all be on point with the story of the adventure. But maybe you like that horror angle, then hey, go with the cannibalism. Yep. Um, you can also just end up here. If you are running into ragged scouts as a wilderness encounter and you don't have to fight them, you can befriend them. And so you could end up at one of their camps this way or you could stumble upon it while you're going through the place. So, again, it's a very generic camp that you're given. Right.
1: And so far, we've been given a lot of sort of mini dungeon delts in all of these places of interest. And this is sort of the opposite of that. This is not something that you want to go into and just try to kill everything in sight because there are a lot of reggae nomads in in this uh we're talking like in the 50s or 60s it,
0: there are 36 sled dogs which have wolf statistics so right. you know
1: yep so you know <laughs> w- one little sikkim and you uh probably have six wolves per character coming down on you yeah. not to mention all of the all of the actual ragged uh, nomads themselves
0: yeah, the chieftain is a gladiator. The great warrior is a gladiator. The shaman is a druid. So there is some serious firepower here. And even when it goes to that quest of the wolf tribe cannibals, like that's a hard thing. So,
1: right. Yep. So you're going to want to figure out, like any designer running an adventure or an encounter, you want to know what the characters are want to get out of it and then tailor how the approach that they they may take based on that. Do they need to infiltrate, sneak in and take something? Do they only need to deal with the chieftain? It, you know, in those cases you're you're gonna want to adjust it so it it isn't a total bloodbath either against the nomads or against the PCs.
0: Yeah. And, and that's maybe my my biggest sorry, go ahead.
1: No, no, I yeah, I think you're gonna say what I'm gonna say. So go ahead.
0: Well, yeah, probably, which is that you don't get information that's of use for the specific quest, Wolf Tribe Cannibals. Right. You know, there is, they, they tell you there's a halfling that you could rescue, and they say that there are no sled dogs or elderly, because I guess they've been eaten. But those, you know, are, are the least combatant, expected to be combatants. But, but you know, I don't know, like it's, it's sort of, they don't give you much here, so you almost have to build it out of the pieces that are here, because the pieces are so generic for anything.
1: Yeah. And it could be a very different kind of encounter slash adventure if you're dealing with the bear tribe as opposed to the tiger tribe, as opposed to the elk tribe. And on a certain die roll, it could be the actual quote unquote king or queen of the tribe rather than just a chieftain, which makes it a whole other sort of encounter because now you're not just dealing with a small clan within the tribe, but the actual leader of the tribe. And if you kill the leader of the bear tribe, what does that mean for the rest of the tribes? Are they going to seek revenge? Are they, you know, it's, there's a lot of narrative weight within a possible encounter here with not a lot of instruction given on what it might mean.
0: Yeah. And and the information on those tribes is not found in this section. You have to go to Appendix C. Right. Which is where the monsters are there. You get the information on the tribes and their specific angles. So that that gives you their names and and flavor. So it is important that if you for sure, if you're preparing for one particular tribe, then review that and and add that to your notes for what you're running in this session. Otherwise, you'll have to flip back and forth and improvise and borrow the pieces. But
1: within a sandbox sort of campaign, this is the most sandboxy location. Okay. Um, so you, you need, definitely need to do some research and figure out where this will fit your storyline if you run it. Uh, next, we go to Revel's End, which is a Lord's Alliance prison set on the side of an impressive cliff next to the Sea of Moving Ice. The tall tale tells you that the Arcane Brotherhood is a threat and that Valish Gant, one of the Arcane Brotherhood who is imprisoned here, may know something about it. Um, the quest behind bars is given to you by Duvesa shane the speaker of brin who is worried that the arcane brotherhood uh, may be planning things in the area so she suggests that the characters go to valish gant who was the villain of that uh, previous legacy of the crystal shard adventure during the DD next time to find out information he might know and he, she also gives you a letter telling Gant that if he uh, spills his guts on what he might know, he could get his sentence reduced. So there is a beautiful map of the prison, very detailed.
0: Gorgeous art of the location, super awesome.
1: Really, really cool. Uh, Lots and lots of locations within there. Lots of great details on the inner workings of the prison. And then with all of this, you sort of can just walk in Talk to the prisoner and then leave. Because that's really all that the location itself gives you. And my thought is wait a second. Here is this beautiful thing. It's almost like a clockwork timepiece that you just glance at and then walk away.
0: I mean, yeah. And the characters, if you're following the hook, because you're not going to run into this place, it's all on one corner, on one side. Yep. It's. Yeah, this is such a weird location. Like, I wonder whether they were going to do one thing with it and designed it, and then, or just they assigned it to someone, and that person just went to town. I mean, it's beautiful. Mm -hmm. It's just that I don't like. I don't love the premise. This is one of these plots that when I see this in a TV show, go really. Why don't you just find an arcane brotherhood member, or just you know, there are there are other ways. But to go speak to the guy who literally was going to overthrow Duvesha Shane and possibly help and that person like with their sentence, I could just none of that strikes me as, as plausible or, or worth doing. Right. Um, to me, what I would have think is, you know, what characters do is they get into trouble all the darn time. Mm-hmm. And what actually to me would be a good hook for using this place is you do what acquisitions incorporated did recently, which is you throw your party in jail for whatever thing they did, even something minor, and you ship them out to this place. And when they're there, they run into Veilish Gantt. Who says, you know, help me a tiny bit and I'll tell you what I know about the Arcane Brotherhood Mm -hmm. and point you in the right direction. Mm -hmm. That to me would be something that would be plausible and useful here because player characters love getting into trouble.
1: Absolutely. And there's actually two other ways you can do that, right? One of the ways is we're going to throw you into jail because Baelish would never talk to anyone except if they were prisoners. So we're going to pretend you did something and we're going to put you in this jail. Find that information. Number two is, Hey, go talk to Valish. Oh, but while you're there, there is a jailbreak in progress because otherwise you're, you're, you're showing us the Death Star and then nothing's happening at the Death Star.
0: Yeah. And you have this gorgeous location that you'll never see. There's all these rooms are detailed and how all this stuff works. And you're just going to go in through a couple of chambers and meet with them. What's the point of all that detail? Right. A prison warden has this very interesting setup. Yeah. Marta Marthanis is secretly a harper working to keep evil confined. So she's like within the uh, Lord's Alliance, infiltrating the Lord's Alliance to make sure that they're on the up and up. Right. But she has this thing in that she has within her the spirit of a deceased adventuring companion, the shield dwarf Vlax Braunanvil, mm-hmm. And one to two times per day, Vlax takes over and changes her temperament. But she's still lawful good, but it changes her temperament. Right. And so that's kind of a fun person to interact with. And then Veilish, his information he has is that he recalls a conversation in the Host Tower regarding an expedition to a lost Netherese city buried under the ragged Glacier. So you know that points you there, and he he also wants the player characters to bust him out of prison. I don't know why you would ever do that, but
1: right there's no yeah. real reason to, unless he tricks you into doing it. So again, don't waste this wonderful place with just walking in, talking to Valish, and then leaving. Make something happen at the place that gives the characters a you know a fun night of D and D. At this incredible location with this wonderful, flawed prison warden who is not only a spy but can't, you know, control this spirit within her. Yeah. There's there's so much you could do with it.
0: And what I'm really excited to see is what is Jeremy Crawford going to do with this location? Because Acquisitions, Inc., they've just been sent to Isomdale into this prison. I bet they meet Baelish. I mean, maybe they'll find some other way to not make it spoilery, but, you know, they're going to be in this in Rebels End and they're going to need to break out for sure. Right. So it'll be interesting to see how how that gets used.
1: Yep. And, you know, you can take a a page from Jeremy Crawford's book and there are much, much worse books you could take a page from. Yeah. See what he does with it and model that uh, on your own campaign. And the last two places are sort of linked. These last two locations. They are Sky Tower Shelter and Worm Doom Crag. Both of them are Goliath settlements, and these Goliath settlements are held by two different clans. And these clans are not getting along with each other at the moment. So I'm <laughs> going to let I'm yeah, I'm going to let you uh, give the backstory here, Tays.
0: Well, you know, this is new lore in Icewind Dale. There have never been Goliaths in Icewind Dale in any large numbers. This is not something that's in Legacy of the Crystal Shard, which describes the events, you know, maybe four years before this adventure, maybe a little longer. So this is just a brand new lore piece that's thrown in there. And these locations are near the spine of the world, which makes it a little removed. This is a long trek to get here, a hard climb into the mountains, avalanches. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, it's, it's kind of like, okay, you put that in there. But one thing I can say is the Adventures League has shown us that they are using these. So if you're, if you like this angle, look to the Adventures League adventures for some ideas of how to use these areas, mm-hmm. the Goliaths, we, we get a good amount of information, both in the appendix and here around the Goliaths themselves. And then we get the information about each of the locations themselves. Uh, so maybe I'll just say Goliaths have three names: the birth name assigned by the parents, the nickname from the tribal chief, and their family clan name. Uh, basically, it's kind of like a heavy metal album name, you know, <laughs> where you have quotes in the middle. Right. Do you want to tell us about Sky Tower, Sean?
1: Yep. So Sky Tower belongs to the Akanathi clan. They are in the middle of a fight with the I'm going to have to say this. Ready? Thumlakalaga clan. Yeah. So the Akanathi clan tame griffins, and they dislike strangers. So the quest that sends you here is Quan, one of the Goliaths from Sky Tower, is trying to find a, a, a mythic werebear Goliath, but ends up in the Ten Towns and ends up a gambling addict. So Quan wants to atone, asks the PCs to take her back to Sky Tower, and convince the chieftain named Arn to unite the two Goliath clans so that they can end the everlasting winter. And I, I was kind of confused because I was like, okay, so first she was on this quest. Then she ended up in the 10 towns and lost all her, her money gambling and, and now wants to save everybody from the, there's yeah. sort of no, no connection between those. No, two
0: I wanted to find a mythic bear. Oh, okay. So we help you to find it. No, actually I want to unite the two tribes. Okay.
1: Right. And um, and that's that's totally fine. But it, it just you know narratively you you would expect there to be a link between those and, and there just isn't. Yeah. The tall tale is about the two feuding clans and if someone could mediate maybe everyone would benefit from from a peace between them. So if they just walk into Sky Tower on their own unless one of them is a Goliath from Sky Tower the chieftain chief Arn chieftain Arn says I don't want to talk to you. So they yeah. sort of have to not wheedle their way in, but make a deal with Arn and just to speak with him. And one of the deals you can make is, hey, Chieftain Arn, what would you like to talk to us? And so he tells them, well, what I would like you to do is get the cloak of the chieftain of the other tribe and bring it to me. And then we can talk. The chieftain's husband is also there. And the mother of chieftain Arne's husband went blind. And so if you can cure her of her blindness, then she can help convince Arne to actually go through peace talks with the other chieftain. So there's sort of a lot going on there. You can keep it as simple or as, as sort of socially complex as you want uh, in terms of who you talk to and, and how you go about bringing this um, peace talk together.
0: Yeah, it is um this is to me dissatisfying. Like I I like a lot of the pieces, mm-hmm. but it it nothing to me lines up in ways that I go, "Oh yeah, the players will do that." Instead, what I envision myself is having to constantly nudge and drop hints and because I mean, why are they going to meet Arne's husband's mother? Like there's no reason for you to end up in that tent. Right Or randomly bump into her, nothing is described that sets this up, so you somehow I mean it's just it's so implausible, but that's what it takes to it's one of the main ways that you can go about creating peace is you cure her blindness and and I don't know, like that doesn't it would yeah, you know like if if they had a quest for you to cle to cure her blindness, or yeah, I don't know, right, yeah, I mean it's if... strange.
1: At this point, you know, they're, as you're saying, maybe there's some prophecy that when the mother of the chieftains uh, loses her sight, then blah, blah, blah. So hopefully, if you can restore her sight, then this prophecy will not take place. That sort of thing gives yeah. you an impetus to seek out that solution as opposed to what's presented, yeah. which is
0: nothing. And we have to start with the basic premise of this location is they will not speak to you.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Right. right. You show up, you are turned away. And yeah. that is always, we've talked about this before in this adventure, design-wise, that's not a great tact to take without immediately giving an antidote. Like, it would work if you said, they're going to turn you away, but then someone from the wall shouts, wait, they're the ones from the prophecy. Right. Right, to take your angle on the idea. And then and then they're forced to, just, well, we'll let you in, but we need to see, are you the ones from the prophecy? And you're trying to figure out what prophecy And then it's the prophecy that strangers will come and cure the Mm -hmm. blind woman or something. And then now we've got something to go on.
1: Yeah. Yep. Otherwise, you as the DM have to do a little bit of lifting here, and sometimes more than a little bit of lifting, to get the characters gracefully and elegantly into the story that has been presented by the actual location. So the other location is Worm Doom Crag. I don't want to say film Laga again, so I'm going to let Deus do
0: this. Shakalaga. <laughs> I, I mean, I'm glad that there are names like this because this is a good example of something that you throw in and creates humor you know, yeah. and, and amidst all the darkness and the gloom, right? You get a name right. like that and players are going to make some jokes and smile and whatever. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so this one has a quest, Dragon Bone Stew, that could bring you here instead of the other location. Danica Graysteel, who may have is the same person that may have hired the party for the Nature Spirits quest, that one of right. the first, first quests you can choose mm-hmm. to find the. Um, chwingas? Like the little, yeah, chewingas. Uh She wants white dragon bones for a magic stew that protects against cold, mm-hmm. which immediately made me think does she put Chiwingas in this stew? Is that what she <laughs> needs? Is she just eating stuff? Right. (laughs) But yeah, she wants white dragon bones for magic stew that protects against cold. She believes the bones can be found in Worm Doom Crag, so go ask the Goliaths for some bones. By the way, if you do this, the stew causes madness, and she also gives you some because she doesn't know this.
1: Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, hey, congratulations, you're resistant to cold. And, oh, by the way... Roll on the madness table. Rolling on the madness table, exactly. So it's probably important here to point out that the whole feud between the two clans, two tribes, goes back to
0: a goat ball Avatar game. Avatar: The Last ben Airbender.
1: <laughs> yeah, a goat ball game. I don't know that... if you've,
0: have you watched? Have I you haven't. watched Avatar: The Last? Yeah. So it's great. You should watch it. You would you would love the storytelling of it, and I think your daughter would like to. But uh, there is a series there that a, a couple of episodes that deals with the Earth Kingdom and how they have this feud around a game that they play. And how they both misremember the events of the game, and it, it's it's basically this story. Okay, well there you go. So that that's what's happening here, <laughs> yeah. um, but it is all about goat ball, which yeah. is you know tell them what what goat ball is.
1: Yeah, goat ball is like dodgeball. Um, there is a ball made with goat hide, where two teams of four players each climb onto some sort of raised surfaces. So it's maybe tree stumps or pillars that you can move between or around. But the whole point is to knock your opponent off their pedestal pillar stump with the ball. And uh, so how the game mechanics work is you either make an athletics track, bad extract, add it up amongst your teammates and the highest total wins. So when you go to Worm Doom Crag, if you went to the other location first, then now you have something to talk about. If you come here first, you get the story that the uh, other clan is the grieving party when one of their uh, griffins attacked one of the players and then got away and was attacking and made a general nuisance of itself whereas the other clan tells you that it you know it's it's the thung lakalaga clan that caused all the problem at the goat ball game
0: and murdered their griffin. And, yeah. Right, and, and,
1: and killed the griffin, where this, this group says, well, the griffin went ballistic and started attacking everyone, so we had to put it down. So who knows you know, which of those is true? Probably mm-hmm. neither.
0: And then what's interesting is that the, the child who was bitten is one of, is the chieftain of the, the Worm Doom Crag, but won't tell you that initially. So you kind of have to piece the story, right. and you're going to hear two different versions. It's interesting.
1: Yep. Yeah, I like that, that part. That chieftain, Ogolai, has scars. And so when the characters learn that someone was attacked by a griffin and and mauled pretty severely, they can put two and two together if they're paying attention to realize that it's the chieftain uh that was the victim of that attack.
0: And Ogolai has this demand, you know, just like the other chieftain says, Bring me the cloak of the chieftain, this one says I will only meet for peace if we meet at the goat ball court at Wormdoom, which the other chieftain will never agree to. So they both right. have things that they're requesting the other that will never happen. Right?
1: Yeah, and the sort of mini quest that uh, Ogolai gives the characters is a an injured Arakocra who they have been taking care of. I'm not even going to try to pronounce that name. Oh, yes, I am. Sikikri. Mm -hmm. Uh, has been wounded and can't fly so if the characters can heal her to the point that she can uh her wing becomes usable again then uh will agree to meet the other chieftain and (laughs) you know it's it's sort of the same deal right it's it's why would that then suddenly trigger Ogolai to right to do this
0: uh yeah this one's almost while the location's easier to work with because they will talk to you, that is almost it's the it's such a weak hey, you know this random creature crashed in the mountains, you fix its wing, oh, you know what, I'll go meet with the other chieftain, forget my decades old grievance,
1: right yeah, it's uh, <laughs> it it seems like there could be something a little more
0: a little more at stake here than and than the thing just is story wise for the d m nothing points at this wounded Arakakra. The wounded Aarakakra is just sort of in a place. So you would have to just go walking around, exploring Wormdum Crag, meet this thing, decide to heal it, and then apparently Ogolai would just, I guess, inform you, you know what? I'm, like, it's, it's a really weird, there's nothing logical about it that presents, I don't know. It, yeah, yeah, I don't, I would change this in some way, but I'm not sure how.
1: Right. So, it it is, an, it's an interesting dynamic. It's great cultural lore to have this, and you could make it more important than the book makes it by if you do bring these tribes together, these clans together, have them assist you in certain ways. You know, maybe send scouts for you at some point, or maybe they show up to rescue you in a, if a really bad situation occurs. But as it is, it's sort of its own separate thing that doesn't fit into any overall narrative and doesn't really mesh well even with its own narrative, in, in the sense of the characters interacting with these clans.
0: Where I could see this work is if you knew that an attack was coming on Ten Towns, as we'll see is mm-hmm. going to happen in the next chapter, then you could perhaps need to recruit forces to help. Mm -hmm. And that's where it could make sense. If you wanted to make a sort of longer chapter out of this, you could towards the end of this chapter say, you know, I don't know, prophetic visions of an attack coming on the town. Mm -hmm. And the only way that you can get strong combatants that would join you is either uniting the barbarian clans or bringing the Goliaths together. And that could be an interesting way to, to make use of this so that it actually matters, you know. Because as it is, these they're so far removed. They, they, these Goliaths are so far removed from the ten towns that it, it sort of doesn't matter whether you create peace between them. I mean, it's good that you did, but right. but it doesn't impact anything. So I, I I would want some payoff, right? Like they are going into battle with you or helping to prevent damage to the town, and and that's something that could work within the framework of this adventure.
1: Yep. So yeah, it's uh, like we've said for many of these mini adventures or locations it's got the elements of something fun and narratively interesting and interesting game mechanically that you can do you just need to do a little massaging of it to make it fit with the story that you and your players individually are telling yeah and that wraps up chapter two did you have any thoughts overall on chapter two or Are we just happy to be able to move on to chapter
0: three? No, there are are some great elements here, right? Like I like really basically every location is something that has some very neat design, some neat story pieces would be fun to play with if it were the center of a one shot, Mm -hmm. right? And you could create a one shot around any of these and create fun play, fun times at the table. And my issue is the same one we talked about at the beginning of chapter two or or really in chapter one. And that is that I don't understand the overall narrative approach that went into this chapter from a developmental higher up step, right? right? Like, if you're telling me a story called Rime of the Frostmaiden, then I want to be doing things that are about the rhyme and the Frostmaiden. And this instead seems like just going around and exploring the area, which... It to me contrasts sharply with this impending doom, and then this narrative and this thing that we must do as heroes. So they're at odds, and 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 I wish there was a better way that these various places of interest and quests and, and all applied to the central story. Mm-hmm. It, it is
1: my take on it as well. So next time we will get into chapter three and start uh, looking at the new and uh, bigger
0: threats of Icewind and maybe, Sean, can I add one thing?
1: You should can, one.
0: Teos. Thank you, Sean. Uh, you know, last time with Chapter 1, when we were at the end of that, we kind of paused and said, well, what would we do differently? Mm-hmm. And I think if you were to do the things, something along the lines of what we were talking about in Chapter 1, right, where you, you kind of choose a town that you're a part of, and you, maybe you ran for for being the speaker for that town, or you otherwise allied with that town and then played off of it with your other quests, then I think chapter two could follow that, right? Where you tie these quests and locations more closely to the events of that and make it more actively around hunting for where are the frost maidens forces. And even if you're not mm-hmm. finding them, try to reinforce that. Mm-hmm. We've mentioned a couple of times where this could be more oral based, one of these locations where it could link to that. So if you, if you lean in on those angles, then I think chapter two can have a stronger narrative feel. Right.
1: Yeah, you could do any of those things. Well, we, like you mentioned it with the Regad camp. These people are now worshiping Oral. We need that to stop. Please help us. There is a threat. Oral cultists have been seen in the spine of the world. We need the clans the that Goliaths, are fighting, yeah. the Goliaths, to, to help us hunt them out. Instead of knowing about the Arcane Brotherhood, people in the prison, or someone in the prison, knows about cultists of orals plans, and go talk to them about that you can make that a central theme very easily with any of these quests by just putting some information an artifact the the small a artifact not not a not a major artifact but just some small thing that will tell you more about what's going on all right that is our episode and thank you all so much for listening This may or may not be the last show of the year, depending on what our schedule looks like next week. So if we don't get to you again before the end of the year, we want to wish you the best of holidays, a great new year. We want to thank you for listening and being a part of our lives as we explore this grand game and these grand stories uh, that we love so much.
0: It really feels like 2021 is going to be like a new beginning for all of us. So yeah, yeah, it's been a pleasure to be part of the show this year. Thank you, Sean, for having me and, and listeners for welcoming me. It's been great.
1: Yep. So we will uh catch you again either at the very tail end of this train wreck that has been twenty twenty, uh, or at the very beginning of a brand new twenty twenty one. So thank you all for listening. Take care. You know what we should do, Teos? Tell me. I think we should go kill some monsters. <laughs> I didn't expect that. Yeah, no one expects monsters.
0: You're done with D&D. Yeah, you know me. You're done with D&D. Yeah, you know me. You're done with D&D. Yeah, you know me. Who's down with d You're with d Yeah, you know me. You're done with D&D. Yeah, you know me. I'm down with D&D. Yeah, you know me. Who's down with d